Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Life podcast. Was the Threads of Autism is still very much the same podcast, same format, same me, just simply a name change. And you will now be able to find a webpage as well. That is www.thethreadsoflife.co.uk. That webpage will be very simple. It will consist of this podcast where you can click on the episodes. You can sign up to a monthly newsletter that is also almost identical format to my Autism Threads one and some of my blogs and who knows what the future will bring. Just maybe, maybe some sort of iconic t-shirt because I simply can't resist. So yes, basically the Autism Threads shop has been closed down. And among many other reasons, one of the biggies is that I am now fully ensconced in a training course that is a lot of work, (laughs) is pretty intense, is absolutely amazing, makes so much sense. So I am thoroughly enjoying it and I am training to become a spelling to communicate practitioner. So it's called S number two C. And I will share a little bit about it in this episode and and again, drop in bits here and there as my journey continues. So here we are in the new year. And what a shock to the system as usual. I don't know. I mean, does anybody actually go back? What was it this year? 2nd of Jan, rearing to go and energized and, you know, all full of positive vibes. Um, I mean, does that, does anybody feel like that ever anymore? (laughs) Maybe it's the 20-somethings, I don't know, but you know, when when you've dealt with a family holiday, let alone a neurodiverse one, um, life can be pretty shattering and yeah, you know, all the media that's just thrown at you, it's just, just, just incessant. Uh, it kind of, it does the total opposite to me, it just drives me in completely the opposite direction. <laughs> Knowing what the weather's going to be like in January in the UK doesn't help matters, I guess, and yeah, you know, once you've done that first full week, that was what, last week, oh my word, absolutely knackered, exhausted, either both of you are back at work or one of you is, the other one is back at home on their own, looking after the kids and getting them back into school, etc., and and boom, we've all come down with colds again. So yeah, definitely no New Year's resolutions from me, I'm afraid, apart from survival. <laughs> Right, this is this episode is not going to be some sort of pity party, nor is it out to prove parents of non-speaking children have it tougher than any other parent of an autistic child who perhaps has lower support needs, or any parent of a neurodiverse child, or any parent full stop. It's about awareness and about being a voice for non-speakers who have yet to find their voices through spelling or typing. And it's about what it's like for them and how misunderstood they are. And we as their parents are indeed misunderstood as well. They and we deserve better. And I just feel like it's something that is so often not seen, heard or talked about in in society. Um, so, so yeah, here, here goes Trish blabbing her mouth off again <laughs> about what it's like to have a non-speaking autistic and ADHD child. You know, I often kind of, I I imagine at the very far end of the the human society scale, uh, basically people who know absolutely nothing 
about autism. I try to sort of imagine what they would think my son is and what living with him is like. And I sometimes get the feeling that they, I mean, there's always that look of pity, which drives me mad, but would it be wrong for them to assume what they assume? And and, and you'll know why I've said that in a, in coming up later on. I think they assume that he's mentally disabled and that can't really form any sort of relationships, doesn't really have any of his own kind of personality or thoughts and ideas, and that I, as a parent, spend my time basically as a full-time carer, nurse, parent, where I am feeding him and bathing him and dressing him. And apart from his therapy sessions and whatever specialist school he spends his day at, that there's not a whole lot going on other than care for him. Um, Nothing, absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. I have the most unbelievable connection, bond, and relationship with my son, Henry, who is now 12. And it's a deeply loving relationship that goes both ways. It's absolutely fascinating. And yes, it's extremely demanding, tiring, and deeply frustrating at times too, not just for me, but for him. Uh, I think I think all parents in my situation would would agree to that and and say they feel exactly the same or have the same. Um, I've actually yet to meet the parent of a non-speaking child who claims that their child isn't insanely clever or intelligent, not in any kind of tra- traditional sense of the word, but they just kind of have this feeling or they know. Can we prove it? No. Can our child prove it without communication? No. Most of us parents have received a learning or severe learning disability diagnosis for our children because they cannot prove their intelligence. And we have ended up being led to believe this, you know, and even if we don't, we are stuck with an education system the way that it is. And we're surrounded by professionals trying their specialist therapies to teach our children unfortunately kind of very curriculum-based methods of reading, writing, maths. And when our children can't prove what they know, the level is obviously dropped lower and lower until you have a 12-year-old like me who on paper cannot read, write, or do math. And his days at school are spent being read toddler-type books and having staff work on his sensory and the absolute basics of reading, writing, maths. Yes, they are autistic. Their brains work differently. They always will, and they will always be hugely impacted by the sensory. And I'm talking about internal and external sensory stimuli that goes way, way beyond the five regular senses. And you know what? Yes, they are listening, and they are capable of listening to so much more than you or I ever could. Now that non-speaking autistic people themselves are finding a way to communicate and it's happening more and more and it is so exciting, whether they are communicating via an AAC device, so um, augmented communication 
device where they sort of tap on pictures on a specialist iPad and the word is said out loud, or whether it's through poking letters on a letterboard to spell what the words that they want to say, that typically leads up to typing on a keyboard. There is a very common, there's two common themes that come through in every single one of these non-speaking autistic individuals, all sorts of ages, who have found their voices through these basically spelling to communicate methods. The first of those is that there is absolutely nothing wrong with their brains. So their receptive and expressive language, all their cognitive functions basically, are 100% intact. They have ideas, opinions, thoughts, just the same as we do. Their brains are able to formulate responses to those thoughts and ideas, but they cannot perform the motor task, so nothing to do with cognition, the motor task as in moving their bodies to make the speech. Speech being literally the production of sounds, but also a highly, highly complex fine motor skill. And of course, the sensory system is involved in all of this. So that's number two. They all are describing this as a brain-body disconnect or the words used of being trapped in their own bodies or feeling just the most enormous amount of frustration in trying to get their bodies to do what their brain is telling their body to do. So it's just, it's, it's hugely exciting to start reading about these non-speakers who have reached what they call open communication. That is no no kind of flick of a light switch, by the way. This is an, a hugely <laughs> tiring and long for many journey that, that involves a huge amount of practice and obviously very professional practitioners to work with. And, and parents to get on board as well. You know, we're not kind of, we're not talking about, oh, yes, they they can learn to type and therefore sit at the table and have a big fat chit chat with the whole family and type out all their answers. This is about uh, giving them autonomy. And when you're the parent of a non-speaking child, it really comes down to the absolute, oh my God, I mean, I can't, I don't want to say miracle, but the thought that Henry would be able to actually tell me where it hurts when he's feeling ill or has hurt himself indeed or which restaurant he actually wants to go to or whether he actually prefers a Hawaiian pizza to the margarita I always give him. Uh, it's those little things, yeah, those life-changing things. And and then, you know, moving on from there to, to discover what, like all those things we've wondered about over the years, all those things I'm sure we have completely incorrectly guessed at, you know, those little things going on in his mind. Uh, we know his personality. It's clear for us who are so close to him to see it. He's funny, deeply caring, very sensitive, highly intuitive, uh, quite creative. Just the, the thrill of, of, I guess, what other, these other spellers describe it as, you know, coming out of their little prison of silence. Um, that's really what it's all about. So... So going back a little bit, why why do they receive learning disability diagnoses? Well, unfortunately, every single test by professionals in today's world requires 
motor in order to prove that intelligence. So whilst they may know this might be a highly specialized, you know, educational psychologist, whoever, whilst they know your child is non-speaking, they will then require them to prove their intelligence by either pointing to a picture or choosing one of the pictures, or if they can't read or write, ticking a box. And all of those, every single one of these tests requires motor. And that's the part that our young people find so difficult to get their bodies to do. So I can only, on oh my heart aches for how frustrating some of those assessments must be for them. And the message here is really, it's so important for us. And I mean, I'm only learning this now. I, I am a parent of, uh, <laughs> I eat, sleep and breathe this journey. And I am only coming to this huge paradigm shift now. And that is that, you know, how, we need, like any person you meet in the street, how do you actually know what is going on inside their minds and what their actual thoughts are unless they can communicate them. And yes, they have to choose to communicate them to you. So you might make assumptions about people you cross on the street and say hi to and do all those stupidly ridiculous social norms of, hi, how are you? Yes, I'm fine, thanks. Meanwhile, <laughs> inside, all sorts of catastrophes are going on, but they're choosing not to communicate it. Our guys, on the other hand, absolutely cannot communicate through speech and yet through all their kind of you know we take we take looking at them the way they look we take the way they move their bodies again you know hint hint they don't have a lot of control over those motor again um, the actions they do and we immediately assume that there is something mentally wrong and how dare we you know, surely, surely, surely the least dangerous assumption to them and you is to assume that their brains are perfectly intact because you do not know. And sure, if it turns out down the line that yes, there absolutely is a mental disability or a delay of some kind or something unusual going on, then we've lost nothing, have we? That person has, has kept their respect and integrity and who they are intact. We have, you know, we need to basically start treating them age appropriately and with respect because we do not know. And until they can tell us through spelling one day, we will not know. Hi, Henry's coming in to say hello on my podcast. Henry's a bit poorly. Hi, baby. You want to say hello? Hi. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there she goes, a non-speaking son who's just said hello on the podcast. Yes, I might have to explain that in another episode. Before I end off with a brief description of what a day in the life of is like for my son Henry and myself, I will list all the books that I can think of to recommend around non-speaking autism, many of which have been written by non-speaking autistic individuals themselves. It's just so exciting to read some of these stories. You can listen to them on Audible. There are just the most incredible books. I think back to sort of five, ten years ago, where literally the only book that really resonated with me anyway, as a parent to a non-speaking child, was The Reason I Jump by Naoki Higashida or Shadi, can't remember. And he wrote that when he was 13 from typing. 
And now, uh, gosh, there's so many recent, really relevant, wonderful, wonderful stories coming out from autistic adults, autistic children. So I have been recommended a few. I have read a couple still yet to get through some of the others, but I will list them all in the show notes to the podcast. So what is a day in the life of like for me? <laughs> Where do I start? Um, I'll make it brief because obviously every day is different. But yeah, you know, Henry's just the most incredible, incredible boy. And I do not currently have to dress him or feed him or bath him. I do, however, have to supervise. I sometimes have to assist. I sometimes have to do a lot of prompting to keep him on task. And if he is dysregulated or ill the way he is now, then he absolutely, I need to step in and be a little bit more present and helpful in getting him dressed and things like that. He, I spend a lot of my day at the moment feeding him. Oh my goodness. I think we have hit the beginnings of puberty and this boy is literally being fed almost, you know, I mean, pretty much full on meals, five a day that, that kind of morning and afternoon snack have turned into like a meal in themselves. So that's a lot of work. He doesn't typically eat the same meals as the rest of the family, although increasingly that is changing, which is, which is wonderful. He will often join us at the table now, which is fantastic. But again, it's very much on his own terms. We have no expectations around that. He spends a lot of time drawing or outside when he's engaged in something that he wants to do. It's incredible. He can be at it for absolute hours. At the moment, it's all sorts of little construction projects going on outside with bricks and logs and holes and... Um, uh, an awful lot of masking tape <laughs> and water and all sorts of things. So that can go on for hours at a time, which is incredible to see. He has taught himself to ride a bicycle. Absolutely astonishing. He does not use the brakes or the gears, but he is pinpoint accurate at stopping by dragging his feet or dismounting. And yeah, it's it's kind of a bit hair-raising, but it's also wonderful to just cycle behind him and follow him. And for once, he's kind of free. He, he's got such an incredible mental map. Oh, my goodness. He also kind of works off his own very, very precise body clock. We keep a good routine. He needs, like many autistic people, he needs predictability and to have his expectations set and met change is extremely difficult. Transitions are incredibly difficult for him. So not just transition from house to car or home to a holiday place. It's literally can be from room to room within a house at times. If he tips over on the dysregulation side, it can lead to self-injurious behavior where he bites into his own arm or bangs his fist into his chin we had a period during COVID where he became a fantastic escape artist. So that was pretty scary. Um, we do kind of, we basically have to have eyes on him or know of his whereabouts <laughs> all the time. So there's a, there's an element of hypervigilance going on and he sleeps terribly. <laughs> so whilst I have a great little eater, that is fairly uncommon. I, yeah, the sleeping is not good. Takes up to about three hours to settle to sleep every night. It, it's great to sort of be talking now and realize I need to take more moments of, you know, gratitude and 
appreciation for how far we actually have come uh, because largely now he does actually stay in his room even though he's still awake uh, which is a which is a huge shift, you know. We used to have him springing up and out of that bed literally the second he was put in it, um, just over and over, coming out of his bedroom for hours, three hours at a time, easily every single night. And he typically sleeps for six-ish hours, I guess. And again, like now, I'm learning, you know, all to do with not having control over his body and all of this impulsive. Um, action that goes on which which obviously comes from an emotional kind of place so so yes still learning every day Um, he and I have a a very very close bond since I'm the main caregiver so he is incredibly in tune with me he knows my moods before they've hit me poor boy and I in turn can kind of pinpoint where he's at a lot quicker than anyone else in the family I know the noises he makes mean certain things and we just have that kind of I don't know connection I guess and he and he trusts me to be able to get it right for him when it's going wrong Um, if we do tip over into major dysregulation or a meltdown it can be two to three hours to recover from which makes him incredibly tired hungry thirsty which then impacts his body clock because then he'll assume that maybe bath time should be sooner than it is. And you don't want to mess with that because bath time signifies when he goes to bed. So, (laughs) so yeah, um, I just, I just, yeah, just overall, he's, he's a joy to us when he's happy and regulated. He is an absolute joy, fascination and wonder. And I cannot wait uh, for him to be able to spell to spell those words. We have begun working with a professional practitioner. I am obviously trying to practice with him while I am training, and there have already been some mind-boggling moments, but it's a it's going to be a long, long journey, but we are not going to give up. And that's it for the day in the life of. Luckily, you've picked a relatively good day. <laughs> Although he is unwell, which doesn't help, that that can be quite draining on us. The first few days as his temperature hits us is remarkable because of his ADHD. He's literally never still, except when he has a temperature. So that can almost weirdly be quite blissful. (laughs) But when it's the awful snotty noses and ulcers on the tongue and sore throat, then that's not so good. (laughs) But yes, that's enough for me today. It's lovely to be back in the groove after the Christmas break, and I will be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode. Until then, take care. Remember, you are not alone, and your child is going to be okay. <laughs>